All right, Elliot from Marine Collectors with us. This time we've got the top eight difficult fish that are actually easy to keep, which I would actually say normally labeled expert only, but if only you knew a couple of things about it, expert just goes in the trash. But there's also seven that are really justified in having that expert only and you should reconsider or at least go into it eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. Starting with number one, uh, actually easy to keep that are called expert only. Uh, and I can't believe it. We're going to say blasphemy on every one of these and we're, everybody's going to ch chastise us, <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. Number one, Moorish idols. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, the proof is in the pudding. The one that you've got doing great. It's doubled in size. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what have you been doing? Anything special? Yeah, Not I really. just fed it the fiber, uh, that you told me to feed it. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, and so like when he, he said, I was going to send you, I'm going to send you a couple of cool fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I went to the airport, I picked them up, opened the box and I said, F you Elliot. Uh, <laughs> I like, I'm like, Oh my God, no, publicly I'm going to kill this fish. Right. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, then I called him I was like, why are you send me this thing, man? He's like, dude, only thing that goes into a Morris Idol is finding a healthy one, mm -hmm. getting it from a good source, and then feeding it a high fibrous diet. Yep. I did those things, man. There's no difference between that fish and any other fish in the whole tank. The only thing that, that's different is I put those algae pellets on yeah, uh, an auto feeder and it feeds it like by the hour, a little teeny bit all the time. And then they just like to throw some into it. <laughs> uh, this tank is double, uh, this animal is doubled in size mm -hmm. and very, very healthy. Yep. So why is it people think that Moorish idols are typically hard? Uh, I mean, I think most of it has to do with the way that they're handled. Um, a lot of times they won't eat. Uh, but if you get them eating, then usually the next concern is, okay, long term, why is that fish not doing well? And some people will say it's stress. Some people will say it's because they don't have enough sponge. Personally, I think it's because they get constipated and they end up getting uh, blockages that stop their organs, um, which is hence why we do the fiber because mm -hmm. it'll help push everything through and keep everything moving. Um, and fiber is like more important than it is for like a human being here in this case, because this is an animal mm -hmm. that like only eats fibrous material. Yep. It's dependent on this in its biology. It's, yeah. it's, it's different than just like a benefit, man. It's required. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, that's really it. It's just get a good one that's came in good condition, get it eating. Once it's eating, feed it the right food. Easy. Done. You just used the word that I wanted to use actually, oh. <laughs> which is in a different episode of this, you would use the word conditioned. Mm. And so conditioned, meaning this animal is conditioned to tank life. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. That means that it, it's used to living in a tank. It's used to artificial foods and it's surviving and we've treated it. Yep. That means that coming out of the Marine collectors facility that the Marine I or the Moorish idol is eating, it's healthy. Mm -hmm. It's been living in a tank environment for at least a few weeks. Uh, and it's ready for your house. I've got an animal that is conditioned to tank environment. And now I also know what to feed it to keep it alive, to match its normal diet. Yep. And then bam, man, lo and behold, I'm successful. Whereas everybody else is like, no, this is one of those fish you should never get because they only <laughs> die. Well, this is just not true. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like, I, again, people, I, I can feel like the, the hatred coming through the camera already. Like, <laughs> why are you telling people to go get this expert only fish? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, all you got to do is get it from somebody that you trust that will get it conditioned to tank life mm -hmm. and then feed it algae. And you're probably not going to have a problem. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. is that really as simple as that? 
yeah, I mean, I think the one that's in your office is kind of uh, proof enough. Well, we're going to keep keep going down that alley. <laughs> okay, another one here is uh, eight difficult fish uh, that are actually easy to keep. One of them is called the Regal Angelfish, which is one of the coolest fish mm -hmm. you could put in there. Uh, sometimes reef uh, uh, safe, sometimes a little edgy, uh, but always <laughs> looks really cool. But us considered to like be one of a challenging fish to make sure that they uh, thrives in the tank. Yeah, uh, I mean, now that they're available captive bred, like you've got a captive bred one in your tank, uh, the difficulty is kind of removed. But if you're going to go with a wild one, uh, it's not impossible to keep. They just need to come in in good condition. Most of these fish that are difficult to keep, it's because of how they're handled, you know, and the uh, steps along the way to actually get to you. I don't think it's necessarily because the fish themselves can't adjust to captivity. Um, like Regal Angels, we've developed a pretty strict protocol that we always follow. Um, you know, we do still lose a couple here and there, but it's not like every single one's doomed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting them eating, sometimes they'll take immediately to prepared food. Sometimes they take a little coaxing, um, but honestly, it just comes down to the collection. Uh, I just heard conditioned to take <laughs> life uh, again. Uh, 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 and so like, it's a really interesting thing, but also in there, I didn't really expect this because in the 160, we actually have a wild uh, mm -hmm. caught Regal Angel that has been doing really cool, been there yeah, for years. It's been here for yeah, three years now. Yeah. Okay. And then I have this uh, captive bred Regal Angel in the 360 that was probably the size of my thumbnail mm -hmm. when I got it. Yep. Okay. And I mean, it was tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, and now, I mean, he's doing really fine. And so the captive bred, like, mm -hmm. don't really have the same problem transitioning to tank life yeah. because they've been conditioned to tank life from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So actually really cool uh, fact about the captive bred ones. They're actually seventh generation captive bred. Oh, really? So that means that, so they come from Bali Akarich, but they bred wild ones and raised the babies, bred those again seven times down the line. These are now the seventh generation that are, we're finally seeing on the market. Okay, I think of that like all the ORA corals, like, which are like <laughs> bulletproof. If yeah. you kill the ORA coral, man, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 we couldn't kill those things if we yeah. wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, because those things have lived in captivity for so many uh -huh. generations, man. They have adjusted to whatever garbage Everything. we could throw at them. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, like, a, just super robust coral. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think about the regal angelfish is the same thing. Yeah. So, some of it about getting a, con a wild one conditioned, but also you can just buy them now that were born conditioned to mm -hmm. this for seven generations. There's your go. That's the way you go. Yep. Okay, this one I don't know a lot about, actually, which is uh, a difficult fish that's easy to keep. Number three, leopard wrasse. Yeah, what so... What makes this a challenge? Uh, most of the time, they don't want to eat prepared foods. Um, but I actually find that they will. It's just more a matter of you need to get the fish in good condition. Um, actually, sorry, there's a lot of things that go into leopard wrasse. One, they have a really, really strong internal clock. So wherever they were collected, that's when they wake up is on that time schedule and it takes a really long time for them to adjust to stateside. Never in a million years yeah. like even thought that that was possible. <laughs> um, the other thing though is that they also have really sensitive gills and they don't tolerate uh, ammonia and medication very well and a lot of times if you have um, like for those of you who don't know when you get a fish from overseas a lot of times those fish will be in the bags for 36 hours, two days, etc. Um, and a lot of times the pH will go down, then it'll come back up. They don't like a lot of 
parameter swings, whether it be pH, salinity, ammonia, medications, whatever it is. Um, so typically what we'll do is we'll bring them in, uh, we'll get them acclimated, um, we'll sit in methylene blue for two days, and then we'll slowly ramp them up with copper, like over a week. Um, and it's a more, like, more, a lo much longer process. Yeah, but the thing is that uh, it's about allowing the fish to recover from shipping before putting them into really uh. harsh medications. Because um, if you have a fish that already has gill problems and then you go to put it into copper that's a gill irritant, it's like, well, of course the fish isn't eating. You know, and if the fish was, you know, maybe not in the best condition to begin with, then yeah, you know, it's a no brainer. Of course it didn't make it. Um, but I mean, we've just recently started bringing leopard wrasses in after five years or so. And the first batch we did, like, I mean, we got them on frozen pellets and like, that's something that most of them don't even take to. So I gotta ask a question here. Is the leopard wrasse then nothing about caring for it afterward and 100% about sourcing it? Mm -hmm. Because after, if, it, if it's eating and stuff and you get it, it's no problem. Yeah, it should be fine. This is, that's kind of like the cleaner wrasse uh, to some degree. <laughs> if it's eating, it'll probably be fine, but it probably won't eat it. Yeah, right. cleaner wrasse need to be fed a lot though. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real frank with you. Like, uh, I didn't see this coming, hmm. but this is sounding like 100% a commercial for marine collectors. Uh, because, no. yeah, I know, I know you don't want that. Uh, but I'm just saying is like, it, it like sounds like it is uh, about, less about like what you do in many of these cases and about getting a healthy one to begin with and making sure that the person that is gonna get it for you knows what they're doing, what to look for. And it's not just like this commercial operations, it's just like pushing 8 million fish through as fast as humanly possible yeah. and treating them all the same. It's, no, this one has a unique, you know, need yeah. that, that we need to address. Um, yeah, so with those uh, purple queen antheus. Uh, oh, that's uh, number yeah, four. Number four. As antheus, queens, and ventralis, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, it's... It's more about not understanding the fish. And I think that it's that way with most difficult to keep fish. Um, one of my friends, uh, Dave Palmer, he's been around for like the past 30 years in the industry. He's like, oh, Elliot, I just uh, came across this video. Uh, Matt Wandell's giving a talk at like a local reef club or something. And it's like on how to keep difficult fish. And I watched it and I was like, oh my God, he and I think the same way. And he was going on to say that the uh, purple queen antheus is specifically designed to eat really micro particulate food. It's not that they won't eat food. It's just that they don't see it because that's not what their eyes are designed to see. Oh, uh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Uh, if they're going to eat so, micro particulate food, mm -hmm. they'd have to be able to. Like a, they're focusing on like super, owl. super tiny stuff. Yeah. Uh. Um, and he goes on to say, like, you know, you could take purple queens and they'll almost eat right out of the bag, but they want to eat like freshly hatched brine shrimp, which are, you know, microscopic, but they'll eat it right away. Um, and he actually, he's got a lot of really good, uh, we'll put the link in the description, but we'll, um, he's got a lot of really good tips and there are a lot of them that I've been using for years. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's exactly what we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know? So do you think it needs to be live or can you feed like things like Kalanis and stuff that's so really tiny? I think it's a weaning process. Uh, like maybe you start them on live brine, get them eating, get them aggressively feeding, create that feeding response so that they are comfortable in a setting where like, okay, I know that I'm going to get food that's going to be fed to me. I'm going to eat that and then wean them onto something that's dead, then wean them onto something that's a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and then 
you know, it might take two months, but then you have them on like PE mice or something that's larger. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have thought you could even get there. Yeah. Okay. So this is the piece that like, when we say all the time, man, expert only, and we say, I don't know, the evil in the tank just killed it or whatever <laughs> goofy thing, you know, like it just isn't true. Mm -hmm. It's you've got this animal that's like designed to eat these tiny little organisms. And from a previous episode, we talked about how when they're collected, a lot of these fish actually sit for a week without mm -hmm. being fed so they can clear their digestive tract so they don't pollute the water and transport. Mm -hmm. Okay, well now I've got this fish that is used to eating these tiny little microscopic particles all day long, right? Yep. Uh, and now, I mean, constant, because it's a high energy fish, and now I've starved it for a week with many fish that probably wouldn't have mattered. Mm -hmm. this, this one, it probably won't matter right there, but if it starts compounding with longer and longer mm -hmm. transport times, man, the you know results go down. And now this is why this is probably an expert only fish. But if you're willing to, you know, do some hatch some brine shrimp and mm -hmm. feed the brine shrimp to it and then transition it to things like Kalanis, yeah. well, you know, like this isn't that hard. And you might say, Oh, I don't want to do brine shrimp. Well, that's the reason why this is a hobby. Yeah. Is because we're constantly perfecting <laughs> it. We're constantly finding out where we made the mistakes of the past and then we're trying to do it better, man. Yeah. Because that animal doesn't just die. So actually, what's the difference you think between then the queen anthias and the ventralis? Because we were talking about putting some ventralis in my tank. Yeah, I mean, ventralis are just a really small anthias. You know, they're really delicate. They don't like to be touched. Like you should really be using a cup to move them as opposed to nets. Um, they do take to prepared foods a little bit easier than purple queens though. Like you can get them on brine shrimp almost right away. Um, but most of the time they don't like to eat large, like PE mice sized particulate foods right away. Um, and it just takes a little bit of time to wean them onto that. Uh, well, what's the purpose of weaning them on to mysis when like there's foods like Kalanis or fish eggs? Or I think it's probably a convenience thing. Uh, just just because yeah. that's what you're feeding the rest of the stuff well because i mean if you think about it you got to feed so much more of small stuff and like it's probably not all going to go to the fish that you want it to feed um the other thing with like ventralis is that they also like cooler water like warmer water metabolism speeds up probably lose body weight a lot quicker mm, interesting uh, okay uh next one uh difficult fish that are actually easy to keep I can't wait to hear how you explain this one. <laughs> Number five is powder tanks, powder blues, powder browns. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally think they're incredibly easy to keep fish um, with the caveat of if you don't have pathogens in the tank, they're as easy to keep as a yellow tang or a purple tang. You know, it's, uh, it's not a sensitive fish. You know, they can handle a myriad of uh, water parameters. It's not, uh, you know, like it's, oh, you know, it's got to have this type of food. It's got to have this type of flow, you know, it needs this type of habitat. No, they're pretty robust. You know, it's just the parasite aspect. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is interesting because the uh, 900 behind us has the powder blue in it. Mm -hmm. Right. And 100% that tank has ick in it. <laughs> like there's, there's no debate about mm -hmm. it. We've seen it on there, man. There's no question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's but what, like eight months now that's been yep. in there it's been in there and you don't see any on it you were looking at it today yeah. trying to poke your finger in my eye uh and <laughs> uh one of the things though man is we have this 80 watt high output uv mm -hmm. you know plumbed into it to keep the parasite load down 
Yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you that like I can guarantee 100% the reason for that, but uh, not I many think people. It goes a long will, way. You, not many people will tell you that you can have a powder uh, blue that has very obvious signs of ick on it, and then it just miraculously goes away and never comes back again. Yeah. It usually goes back. I think there's also something to be said about starting with a tank that even if it does have ick, it doesn't have a really high population density. You know, like if you obviously have an outbreak already occurring and fish are like constantly getting more and more spots, don't put that fish in there. Well, very frequently the powder blue and powder brown will serve as like patient zero. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Right? Like it, it won't just be that like it could get it. It will be the one that gets it and mm -hmm. breeds it. And then there's so <laughs> many of them that it overwhelms the rest of the fish mm -hmm. as well. Uh, it just needs a patient to be the host that it takes off on. Uh, so I can't tell you, we, we see it just, I, I, I will never set up another tank that doesn't have a properly sized UV yeah. on this because I, I, I'm not willing to quarantine every last coral that goes in there. Yeah. Uh, I know that that tank has ick in it and I know that I don't see it. It doesn't matter. Yep. There you go. Okay. Uh, another one, man. Top eight uh, or top most difficult fish that are actually easy to keep. This one's near and dear to my heart, man. <laughs> Mandarins. I, People say those are hard. Yeah, they're probably the easiest fish to keep alive. You know, you can put it in there, never think about feeding it ever again. The caveat that you have a good pod population and that you have a really healthy established system. Other than that, that fish doesn't need anything else. I, that is the thing, like, I get, this, is, this reminds me of the, like, the clown harem thing where it's like, you told me I couldn't mm -hmm. do it. It's impossible. You can't yeah. be doing it. Like, no, I just need to, like, I need to go do these eight steps. And if I do these eight <laughs> steps, it works just fine. And we did it for five years, man. So yeah. like, I don't know, poops in the pudding. And this one, the one step I'd say is, yeah, wait 18 months, then put in. <laughs> done, man, done. Yep. It's not an expert only fish. Mm -hmm. It's it's a put it in after 18 months fish. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's cool because uh, like mandarin gobies have poisonous skin, they secrete a poisonous slime coat and they like are actually very resistant to parasites too. Like it's not a difficult fish to keep. That the common joke that we say all the time yeah. is if you stop feeding it today, <laughs> uh, if we came back 18 months from now, it's it'd be the, the only, only fish, fish that's like actually <laughs> doubled in size and alive. Because uh -huh. uh, they will feed it like this is the easiest <laughs> fish in the whole thing. I Man, how, how dare you say it's expert only? Yeah, it's just don't do dumb things like put it in day one. Uh, okay, uh, this one is interesting too because I've had a couple of different results with this one. Eight difficult fish that are easy to keep, uh, uh, or well, expert only fish. Tile fish are mm -hmm. presented as expert only but easy to keep. What yeah. what makes a tile fish hard? I think it's just that most tanks aren't suited for those fish. Okay, explain. Um, tile fish are usually in like deeper water. It's not in bright light. It's not with a lot of flow. Uh, usually they're in an area where they can make a burrow. Um, like if you think about like how a jawfish will make a burrow, it's very similar or they'll like make a little rubble mound uh, that they dart in and out of, but it's not this like super bright, turbulent environment like most reef tanks are. I watch mine, they spend a lot of time on the top, mm -hmm. uh, but then you watch them dart and they shoot their little heads into the, into the, the sand. Uh, sand. They mm -hmm. bury themselves in like an instant. It's really cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like they spend a lot of time surfing. Yeah. And one of the interesting things is uh, we had a couple in here, the purple mm -hmm. ones, which are super cool. Yeah. Uh, they are known jumpers and literally one day we left one corner off and it jumped. 
Uh, go figure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have a couple of Arini tile fish that mm -hmm. you sent me, and you say those are different, and I will tell you I haven't seen them jump once. Yeah, uh, something about purple tiles. They're so skittish, and they jump so much. But the Arinis, they're so calm, and they don't, they're not skittish, they don't jump that much. Uh, it's like one of those incredibly rare combinations of like rare fish, really pretty, and also really easy to keep. <laughs> yeah. I would say they're not cheap, man, but the Arini ones are cool. <laughs> the purple ones, uh, I actually think visually are probably cooler, but oh, man, yeah. you better care for that uh, that screen there. Yeah, top. that lid, dimmer tank, yep. lots of open space, lots of sand, lots of rubble. Yeah, probably better for an LPS tank than yeah. an SPS tank for mm -hmm. that reason. Uh, okay, uh, another one, man, uh, difficult fish that are actually easy to keep is sand sifting gobies. This kind of fits the Mandarin thing for me. Yeah, you're... Uh, your twin spots too will fit into that. <laughs> Kinda, yep. Um, I don't know. It's just most of the. It's um, it's one of those things where it's like the fish that you're keeping is not being cared for and not having its needs met. Right. That's a fish that eats food off the bottom in the sand. It's sifting the sand to find food. But when you think about when you put food in the tank just drops in, goes everywhere in the water column. All the fish that are swimming up top get it and nothing gets to the bottom. You know, um, if you have a really, really established sand bed, large tank, it's probably fine just living off just the sand and what grows in the sand. So you're thinking like sinking pellets and stuff like that? You know, all of a sudden those look real valuable? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, turkey baster with mices into the sand right in front of their burrow, eat it right up. Okay, so when I was feeding the, the, the twin spots, it was like that. Mm -hmm. It was like, I would mix up like a Kalanis and like a Doc's fish eggs and yeah. stuff like that. Just stuff that would normally settle out. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just kind of spraying it just a little bit underneath the sand. And before you know it, they would actually come up and they would eat it right out of the turkey baster. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they would follow around. It's really fun. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, another one that I saw, like when we had the diamondback gobies in the uh, tank with the clown harem tank. Mm -hmm. Okay, so part of keeping all of those clowns happy was we fed the hell out of that tank, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it did really well. Yeah, it did really well because there was probably massive amounts of turds and stuff, you know, <laughs> going down there. And, and you like hate to say it, but like the ocean like recycles everything. So uh, everything eats something. So I don't really want to call it a turd eater, but I'm going to call it that anyway. <laughs> Uh, the reality is, is like most of these things, like digestive tracts are really poor. So they're pulling out like 30% of the energy mm -hmm. and nitrogen and phosphorus and stuff out of this. And the rest just goes undigested mm -hmm. so that something else can digest it. Yeah. Ends up settling out in the sand. They sift all that uh, energy and amino acids and proteins and shit out mm -hmm. of the sand. Uh, and like, there you go. They yep. you know, feed themselves out of that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't swear on camera very often, but I just let one go. I don't know if you caught it or not. Uh, there you go, blooper. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, now we're going to get to the difficult fish that are actually difficult. Uh, every one of these can still be done, but man, you should really think about this for a little bit. Yeah. One of which is the copper band, I think earns the expert only uh, moniker. What yeah, think? Uh, I think this one's just because it's a combination of the way it's handled, the way it's collected, uh, where they come from, how they're packed, and coupled with the fact that it's a very selective eater and that it wants to sit there, stare at something on a substrate, not out of the water column, look at it, okay, maybe decide to eat it when you know it's not a competitive fish naturally. 
Um, obviously, if it's by itself and you're conditioning the fish and you're making sure that it's adjusting to uh, captive life, you know, you can get it to be there, but it's not something that just like comes out of the box like that. So my experience doesn't like super high flow. So mm -hmm. SPS tank, probably a bad choice. Yeah. Right? And there's always caveats to all this stuff, but like this is one of those fish where if you're hoping for caveat, like you're willing to probably kill, you know, 30 of these to find the one. Yeah. Right? Okay. So high flow. Mm -hmm. Would you agree you don't like that? Yeah. Yep. So we're going they don't down like to, to like... chase food. That's the thing. They want to like, uh, you know, see something on the floor, go over, look at it, look at it for a second before they actually take a bite. They're really yeah. thinking about this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, a terrible option if you have a high bio load, meaning a lot of other fish. They get really spooked and they mm -hmm. will just forgive about the food and let everything else eat and, and forget about it. Yeah. Uh, and so if I were going to do this, I'd probably have a low flow LPS or like softy tank. Mm -hmm. And there would be, it'd be like a 120 that had like three fish in it. And one of them is this. <laughs> okay. Well then, man, I think that you could actually do this. That yeah. just, that combination of stuff I just gave you isn't really all that many people. Yeah. You know, who wants really only three fish? There's mm -hmm. four people just raise their hand. And then there was 96 that said no, you know? So uh, I will tell you though, like one, my buddy had an SPS tank and he had success with his copper ram for a pretty long time. Mm -hmm. And one of them is he did that little feeding apparatus I yeah. told you about. He had like a little disc he made out of acrylic and then he drilled holes in the top of it were, which were enough for a snout to go through, but mm -hmm. not enough for any other fish to go through. And when he dropped the puck in, originally the other fish would come around and mm -hmm. try to pester it, but then they'd figure out that they couldn't actually get any food out of this thing. Yeah. And then he would stick a snout in there, grab the food, like you're saying, just kind of like look at it for a while, mm -hmm. decide maybe this is good, maybe it's not, and then puck went out. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, he also had to round the edges, man, so you don't mess up his snout. Yeah. So it's uh, an apparatus. This is one of those things like the 3D printers of the world and the uh, uh, like a, you CNC, know, CNC mm -hmm. at home kind of guys, you could make a cool product out of this uh, so if somebody's listening go make this thing the yeah. copper band feeder uh it, it would be really cool uh the next one on here we just talked about sand sifting gobies being mm -hmm. a couple that you know are actually easy to keep if you just have enough nutrients in the sand yeah uh, or you go out of way to feed them but twin spot gobies i feel like step outside of that are even more of a challenge than your typical sand sifter yeah uh well, I do think that there's probably a way to circumvent it. It's probably along the lines of putting that fish directly into the tank from as close to the source as possible. So uh, they do come skinny a lot. Yeah, they do not like medications at all. Um, we actually Challenge. used to have them on the website and like a year ago we took them off just because we were killing so many of them and they just weren't handling the medications. Um, you know, and that's just now a fish that we just don't sell. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I've asked you, we talked about this one many yeah. times. Uh, <laughs> the one of the things that I found that made it even more a challenge. So a, like it's a tough eater, mm -hmm. you know, you're definitely going to have to hand feed it or have a really established sand bed. You're also going to have to have the right size, you know, grains yeah. for it. Like, you know, we were looking at pictures of it mm -hmm. and it, like, it looks like it comes from like most of them are taken where it's kind of like a really fine sand, yeah, maybe like even silt. silty, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And it's sifting through that stuff, kind of murky water. 
Okay, then that was a good tip when you told me to do that. You could, yeah. If you're interested in where your fish live and what they eat and what they look like, Google the fish and look for all the things that it's doing naturally, mm -hmm. hopefully on YouTube, but also just even the pictures. You can kind of see where it's you know living yep. and what it's doing. Uh, but on top of that, man, these guys are really skittish. And so mm -hmm. if you guys have been following, I finally lost those things when we added a six line ras to eat the acarid and flatworms. Mm -hmm. And the ras, six line ras is this big, decided to kill him. You know? Oh, that's uh, a bummer. I know, I just harassed him to death inside yeah. of just a couple of days. And like, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because they didn't even like even eat him. You know, it's just, it just pestered yeah, you literally just, to death. Uh, I don't like you in my territory. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like trying to imagine like how somebody could be so annoying to me that I just die. <laughs> Uh, but that's how bad the six line is. <laughs> okay, another one, man, that's difficult, that is legitimately difficult, is Chromis, as much as I mm -hmm. love them. Why? Yeah. So Chromis, uh, they are the number one carrier for uranema. Uh, sometimes it's called green Chromis disease, but basically it looks like red sores on the body of the fish. Uh, Let's just put it this way. I think that 99.999% of green chromis are carrying uranema. And I think it's 100% due to how they're handled. You know, they sometimes come like 100 per box. Uh, I mean, we're talking, you know, bags with fish this big, you know, the size of a golf ball. Because the um, reason for that is because it costs three bucks. Yeah. You know, like well, they have to put them in there, otherwise it would never be profitable. Mm -hmm. I mean, the box itself will be like $120. That means that the fish are landing, you know, and then to be able to sell them at a cheap price, they have to be packed really tight. Um, but uh, not only that, if you have a big school of green chromis, eventually they'll start picking each other off. Like you could start with 10, you might end up with two after like a year. You know? I think that is again, habitat and probably <laughs> diet and stuff because uh -huh. uh, fat people with lots of homes tend to be pretty happy, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Take one. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like if you're not really worried about where my food or shelter is going to come from, yeah. I tend to be a little less aggressive. But if it's limited supply, uh, different. Can't say that's for sure with all of these things. But uh, the chromis, though, hard to get through quarantine, hard yeah. to really get for sure you're rid of the uranema. Uh, very, very, very cool fish. Yeah. But man, should you quarantine the hell out of these things? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like. I get requests for them at marine collectors all the time and I tell people I don't want to do them just because I don't want to put those fish in our systems. Uh, it's like just putting a really high density uh, infection rate into, you know, systems that we're trying to keep clean. Um, and for us, it's just not worth it. But if you're going to do it, um, hydrogen peroxide is probably going to be the safer route. We use formalin at the uh, marine collectors facility. And then chloroquine phosphate for quarantine instead of copper. That's probably going to be the best route to go if you're going to do green chromis. Okay, uh, this one's interesting. Uh, the next one here, hard fish that are really actually are hard, uh, because you just told me you had really good luck with one. It's uh, the cleaner wrasse. <laughs> yeah, so cleaner wrasse, I think, are uh, fish that should be left in the ocean. Um, it eats parasites for a living, right? Yeah, with the exception of like the blue streak cleaners that come out of the Indo-Pacific. Um, we've had really good success getting them to eat. Uh, the only thing is that they need to eat a lot. Like those fish have such high metabolisms. I would compare it to like purple queen anthias metabolism uh, in warm water. And it's, uh, you know, a fish that 
it's really cool to watch uh, you know them clean other fish and that dynamic and it's awesome but most of them uh, like pectoral cleaner wrasses uh, peachy cleaner wrasses um, you can't get them anymore but the ones out of Hawaii those three almost never do well um, bicolor cleaner wrasse occasionally do well but they typically will start removing scales as they grow from fish um, but yeah it's uh, the majority of them should be left in the ocean. Okay, so the message here, and I, I hate to give it this way, but I'm gonna give it this way anyway, which is just skip the cleaner ass. But if you were going to avoid all of our advice and just mm -hmm. say, screw it, I'm gonna do it anyway, there is one that is better than the yeah, rest. It is the Indo-Pacific one, the Blue Street Cleaner. Right. Um, there yeah. you go, go with that one. <laughs> uh, all right, number five, actually uh, expert only fish, it really is expert, multi-bar angels. Yeah, so uh, that genus of uh, paracentropyge, just as a whole, are difficult. Um, it's the same genus as peppermint angel and venusus. I was going to ask that question, actually. Yeah. Uh, those fish, they're just not meant to be in like bright display tanks. Like If you look at where they're naturally collected, they're in dark areas, under caves, under ledges, uh, between cracks. Like They do not like a lot of light, and they're super, super shy and super cryptic. Like. You know, you would expect a normal angelfish, you know, flame angel, bicolor, something to come out for food. This fish will like run away from food uh, because it's like <laughs> afraid type of thing. Um, I wonder what happens down deep where these things are like, are they getting chased constantly? Yeah. Why huh. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's really cool though because now there's actually captive bred versions of them. Um, oh, do they do better? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Uh, the behavior of being shy though is still there unfortunately but they do eat prepared foods which is also an issue with that fish so look for the multi-bar captive or captive bred multi-bar mm -hmm. angels if you're going to go after that what was yep. the the genus again uh paracentropyge okay so look for that uh, at the tail end of the scientific name of all these uh, uh, uh first part so oh, the first part yeah second part will be the species name uh, my friend my bad reverse <laughs> uh, uh okay but like a lot of these are really shy. So if you really wanted to do that, mm -hmm. like the reason this is expert only is because you're going to have a, a fairly big tank that is fairly dark and really doesn't have any other fish in it so that it, it feels safe. Yeah. So if I was going to do them, I would look for the ones that come out of Marshall Islands. They typically adjust better to captivity. Um, they're also usually collected more uh, ethically, we'll say. Um, they are identifiable by a yellow line on the white bands on the body. Um, other than that, I would do them like either observational quarantine or do uh, tank transfer. Um, and I'm even hesitant to recommend that just because they won't eat during that entire period. Um, and then into a tank by itself, no other fish, no competition where you can just target feed couple mice of shrimp or a couple brine shrimp a day. Um, if it's not eating frozen, you might have to do live. Um, but yeah, you're gonna have to like really baby that fish. Okay, so this gets back to, uh, it's not the evil in the tank, man. It, it, it's <laughs> like, this is just a giant pain in the butt to do. Yeah. So you could do this, you could have success with it, but man, would you have to have a love affair with that fish? Mm -hmm. Like, I need that fish uh, like, no matter. I would do the work for peppermint angel. Oh, those are beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, multi-bar is just not as exciting to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's things that look 
pretty damn close to a multi no. bar. They like aren't yeah. as big of a pain in the butt. Like, at least close enough. Uh, anyway, uh, next one. Uh, this one I learned something about today and I didn't know about, which is an expert only fish, and it really is expert, is uh, box fish, like cowfish and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, like blue boxes, um, cubis, stuff like that. Um, so first off, they're poisonous. If they die, they could possibly nuke the tank. So it's like, would you say a soap fish? Yeah. Or like a soap like fish? Like a soap fish, yep. Um, the main difficulty, though, is that their entire body is rigid and you can't actually see if the fish is skinny or not um, so or if it's getting enough it's like got like a shell yeah that makes it look mm -hmm. that shape yep and then it's just starving from the inside out yeah and most of them will eat only algaes or corals or you know stuff that's not necessarily uh, what we would normally feed them um yeah it's just it's such a difficult fish to keep Plus, you have all the risk of if it dies and you don't know that it's not doing well because you can't actually see what uh, the body of the fish is transforming, if it's not getting enough food or if it is, you know, it's just a uh, high risk fish. I also think of like, this is a flow issue too. This is not mm -hmm. a fish that can like swim up currents real no. well. Like it needs a specific environment, mm -hmm. you know, uh, probably not best for everybody. Uh, all right, I got one. Everybody wants one. Uh, I, I don't know a single person who hasn't looked at one of these things and said, God, I'd like one of those. Uh, and it's obtainable. You could get it, but you should really think about it. <laughs> it is the Achilles Tang. Why is the Achilles Tang worse than all the other Tangs, or at least in the top echelon of pain? The I mean, we're talking like virtually 0% chance of uh, parasite uh, immunity. Um, I've personally never seen an Achilles that had an ick infection ever recover. Um, okay, I hear wait, wait, wait. I, I want to I hit on that sentence you just said. Sure. Okay. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> how many time, How many years have you been? 18 in, years or so. 18 years. Mm -hmm. And you just said, I have never seen mm -hmm. a uh, ick, or uh, Achilles tang with ick that recovered. Mm -hmm. Meaning even with treatment or are you just talking about it on its own? On its own, like okay, immune response. So that thing that we're all kind of hoping for is like, uh, we'll just clear up. Never once has he ever seen that happen in 18 yeah. years. I've heard That's stories of it happening. You know, I've had customers say like, oh yeah, you know, um, I noticed a few spots of ick on uh, my Achilles and then, you know, we fed a bunch of, uh, you know, garlic and seaweed and I increased the flow and I put a UV and now it's fine. I'm like, really? I've never heard of that happening once ever. Uh, like, yeah, then I heard it happen again. I'm like, I want to think it was an ick to begin with. Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, I've, yeah, I mean, I've probably had, you know, probably over a hundred Achilles, uh, personally over the years, you know, and you get them small, you grow them out, you rotate them. There was a time when I had a tank that was dedicated to just keeping a harem of Achilles. So that's like my fish, uh, and why they're the Marine collector's logo. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the one they tell you don't get. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the fish that got me into quarantine. We'll put it that way. Um, but aside from that, assuming that you have a perfectly sterile tank, no parasites in the tank, they are keepable, um, but they do need a lot more work than those other like powder tanks. We'll say, uh, you know, they need a ton of flow. And you might think, oh, you know, I've got 
three MP60s on a 120, not enough. Not you showed close. me like uh, a, a video of this uh, in Hawaii where mm -hmm. you were diving and you could watch the, they like those tidal zones like right up against the rocks or yep. just like crazy and they're getting thrown all over uh -huh. the place. And then I thought about it and like when I'm snorkeling, man, that is definitely where you see these things. Mm -hmm. They're not like, you know, out in the rocks, down on the ground, whatever. They tend to be right up like by the rocky shore and stuff or where yep. the break is, wherever it's just like getting pounded man. <laughs> uh, yeah i mean that footage of the i've got it was like eight foot swell and you would watch the fish and then all of a sudden a wave would come and you'd get pushed you know 30 feet that way and then 30 feet back the other way you know and that's just the habitat that they want to be in you mm -hmm. know uh it's just uh yeah it needs a ton of flow a lot of exercise it's a really hyper fish Okay, so one of the things that kind of comes to mind with this fish is this is actually really easy to care for fish mm -hmm. if you're going to do a fish-only tank. Because a fish-only tank is super easy to quarantine for. You'll work with Elliot, work with whoever you're going to work with to curate the tank. Mm -hmm. You'll make sure all of these things are, you know, put in there, quarantined to begin with. Biosecurity, like, really isn't that big a concern in a home environment that just yep. has one tank where everything was quarantined. And I'm not dealing with, uh, like, mm -hmm. all the corals and all the other, you know, things that can like, go in the tank. and no. uh, In a reef tank... Uh, all I can think of is you better be a gambler, you know, uh, yep. and you know, it's so funny, man, because like you asked me if I wanted that Achilles tank and I couldn't turn it down, man. I just couldn't. <laughs> I was like, of course I do. Yeah. Uh, and then I put it in there and I'm like, oh my God, man, those are in there with those yellow antheas and those personatus <laughs> and like, what if this goes wrong? Yep. Uh, and I'm like, what have I done? But you, you know what? what? He's doing just fine. And, uh, yeah. I love him. So it's, I don't know uh, what to tell you. What? I'm a gambler. Eight, I guess. eight months, eight months later, it's still in perfect, uh, perfect shape. I guess you know it's a controlled gamble too. You know, you put the UV on, you feed right, mm -hmm. you do all the other things. I got a million pumps on this tank coming from all over the place. Yep. I I do the best I can. I'm probably not blowing around like eight foot swells do, but I'm doing <laughs> the best I can. Uh, if you think about it, all of those things, like you just do what you can, mm -hmm. but. In general, there's a reason why this thing has the moniker on it, expert only. All right. Yeah. So uh, if you like all this kind of stuff and you want to learn more about it, uh, we have experts and stuff coming all the time that we talk to. And you can see the playlist with all of them in here. And uh, Elliot will actually be back. So subscribe, <laughs> man. We're going to keep on covering new topics. And we'll see you then.